You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35. We've got six chapters left in the book of Exodus, and uh, we're going to cover all six of them today. So we've got a lot, a lot to look at, which means uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to probably do one more sermon on Exodus and kind of look at the book as a whole, uh, remind ourselves of some important things that we've looked at over the course of this study. We'll have an application Sunday in two weeks uh, to kind of wrap up these last few sermons, and then we'll be saying goodbye to the book of Exodus. And so excited about what the Lord has in store for us next. I know where we're going long-term, still praying about whether there'll be something in between Exodus and that long-term plan. So I'll hopefully let you know over the next week um, where we're going next in our studies. Exodus chapter 35 is where we'll be today. Last week, as we kicked off the new year, we said, if you don't seek to follow the Lord, then you can't rightly claim his good presence in your life. But if you'll determine to be intentional in the ways you seek to obey, you will find all the good you need as you face more in 2024. So we talked about uh, the, the fact that we will face trials this year, more trials maybe than we faced last year. And how do, we, how do we experience the goodness of God that we sang about this morning? How do we know and trust that his good presence goes with us? And so we talked about trusting that he will make a way for his plans to be accomplished, that uh, he communicates to Moses and Israel that he's going to take care of their enemies. Uh, he's going to wipe them out so that they can go forward. Uh, we talked about not working against God's plans, right? Trusting that he'll accomplish his plans and then making sure that we don't do anything to try to thwart those plans, that we don't intermingle wrongfully with the things of this world in some ways hindering what God's trying to do. And then we talked about thinking about specific ways that we can obey his plans in 2024, right? There's that whole listing in in Exodus 34 to end that chapter about uh, the ways that they're to worship, the ways they're to keep the Sabbath, the ways that they're to carry out the festivals and the things that they do to worship God. We said those things have been set aside for us. Christ has fulfilled those things, but we have a call to worship him faithfully in the New Testament. Are we doing that? Are we being intentional? Do we need to increase our involvement? Meaning, do we need to be more faithful in the amount of of ways that we're worshiping? Or maybe we need to be more intentional in the ways that we already are. Uh, worshiping. And so we talked about the structure of our church and what it looks like for you to be a, a full participant in our church's ministry over the course of this upcoming year. That leads us into Exodus chapter 35. And we're going to look at all of these chapters today. Obviously, we're not going to read the entirety of these six chapters. We're going to read uh, chunks at a time uh, as we try to summarize what's happening uh, in this lengthy section. So I'm going to start reading for you uh, in Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. It says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. 
Verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple, or scarlet yarns, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil and for light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Our summary sentence for today. God's grace in response to our sin should compel us to follow his commands thoroughly give of ourselves sacrificially, and trust him with the circumstances of our lives wholeheartedly as a means of making his glory known to all. God's grace in response to our sin should compel us to follow his commands thoroughly, give of ourselves sacrificially, and trust him with the circumstances of our lives wholeheartedly as a means of making his glory known to all. For our kids, God is honored when we obey him fully, give what we have to him, and trust him with our lives. This section of, of Exodus 35 through 40 reminds us that God hadn't given up on his, pre, uh, his people and still wants to use them. There's going to be a tabernacle and they're going to build it. So think about it. We're still coming off the heels of their sin with the golden calf. We're still coming off the heels of their massive failure of turning to a false God and worshiping it instead of Yahweh, right? And so we've seen We've seen rebuke and we've seen retribution and punishment that's come for that. And now we're having like a reset moment again where now we're moving forward. It's like as though God's like, okay, we've dealt with that. Now let's get back to what we were doing. And that was building the tabernacle. And so they're moving forward. And it reminds us that God hadn't given up on his people and that God was still going to use his people, right? He's not gonna just drop a tabernacle down and say, here's how you worship me or here's where you worship me. He includes his people in his plans. He still does that today, right? Like God could accomplish everything that he wants to without us, and yet he chooses to accomplish what he does with us. He includes us in those plans, right? The sovereign creator, king of the universe, chooses to use finite, flawed human people to carry out his plans. Chapter 25 through 31, which we've already covered, and chapter 35 through 40 are very similar with some parts being virtually verbatim in their repetition. That's why we're not gonna read through everything again today because if you go back and read 25 through 31 where God gives all the instructions for the tabernacle, the building itself, the furniture that goes inside of it, the, the clothing for the priest, right? He gives the instructions and then here in 35 through 40, we're told that the people respond to those instructions, right? And so the instructions are given again, but it's given in the context of the people doing it versus God simply saying to do it this way. Uh, particularly, if you want to jot this down just so you can see the repetition, Exodus 25, 10 through 20 and Exodus 37, 1 through 9 are almost word for word. Exodus 25, 10 through 20 and Exodus 37, 1 through 9. Why, why is there so much repetition here? Why would God waste so much paper and, and, and ink to record virtually the same thing? He wants the people to be clear in what was exactly asked and what was exactly done as it related to his presence coming, right? It's, it's for the people at that time. He wants to make sure that they know what they're supposed to do. And then for future generations, he wants us to know they did exactly what he told them to do. Right, so we get that repetition. He wants to emphasize there was clarity in his instruction and there was faithful obedience by his people as they carried out that instruction. Right, This is what I told them to do and this is exactly what they did. We need to take note that the Israelites' activities, and this is what's important for us. 
Okay, so don't miss this. We need to take note that Israel's activities in chapter 35 through 40, all of their obedience, right? All of them building the tabernacle and the furniture and sewing together the priest garments. All of that activity happens post-forgiveness and post-covenant reestablishment. Why is that important? It's not as though God says, okay, y'all royally screwed up by worshiping a golden calf. The only way to get back in favor with me is to build this thing exactly right and to do it to my specifications. And if you screw up again at all, you're out. That's not what plays out here. God's already communicated forgiveness. He's already reestablished the covenant. He's already secured them back to him before they ever start carrying out these good works. God doesn't tell Israel to go do chapter 35 and 40 to get back into his favor. They do chapter 35 through 40 because they're already in his favor again. They don't do all the obedient stuff and then get his forgiveness. They do all the obedient stuff in response to his forgiveness. We've said this for years here at Sovereign Hope. Good works always come after our salvation, right? Good works are something that flow from salvation and forgiveness. They don't help make salvation and forgiveness probable, right? What We don't do things in hopes that eh, maybe God will save me now. Like maybe God will forgive me. Like maybe what I've done makes up for all the bad that I did. That's not how it works with God. God's already forgiven them. He's already reestablished the covenant. He's already back to them being his people. They never left being his people. And now they're gonna be obedient. Like they should have been first, Now they're going to carry out all of his instructions, but it has no bearing on his favor towards them. He's already reestablished the covenant. That's important for us too, because our salvation works the same way. We don't do good so that God will love us. We don't do good so that God will forgive us. It's all based on what Jesus has already done for us. Any good works that we do are accomplished because of his grace, not to get his grace. God's grace and mercy give us great responsibility, though, to learn from our mistakes that led us into our sin and failure in the first place. Okay, so what we do see in chapter 35 through 40 is them learning from what they should have done the first time. And that's what we're going to highlight today as we work through these chapters. What they should have done. What did they do that led them into that idolatry? They didn't heed the instructions given to them, and they failed to carry out the commands of God. Remember, before Moses goes up the mountain the first time, he tells the people, this is what you should be doing while I'm away. Start being obedient. I'm going to come back with more information to give you to be obedient to. They don't do that, right? They didn't heed the instructions given to them, and they failed to carry out the commands of God. Secondly, they became selfish consumers rather than selfless servers in their approach to worship. Worship for them became something that they consumed versus something they gave to, right? Remember, they come to Aaron and they're frustrated and they're like, hey, we don't know where God is. We don't know what's going on. Make us a God that does this. Make us a God that's like this. There's no activity of service by them. It's this place needs to be better for me. It needs to serve me better. They become consumers in worship versus servers. And then lastly, they grew impatient with waiting on God to act and move in ways they wanted, and they forced his hand, right? They're like, hey, we ain't seen God do anything in a while, so let's go to a different God. Well, they awoke God in the midst of his conversation with Moses, right? They forced his hand. God has to come back from the mountain early to interact with them prematurely because they fall into sin. So they forced his hand because they got tired of waiting on him. They weren't patient. These are things they had to learn to do differently the next time around, and that's what we're going to highlight today. Number one, after failing God and after experiencing his forgiveness, what happens next? What happens this year, right, when you fall and you fail and you experience the forgiveness of God? Because that should be the pattern, right? The pattern is is that we're not going to be perfect, so we are going to falter, we are going to fail. The pattern is, is that we run to him for forgiveness, First John tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? So that should be the, the pattern this year. We fall, we fail, and we experience forgiveness because we come back wanting freedom from that sin. But then what do we do when we've experienced that forgiveness? How do we, how do we get up and move forward? Number one, we hear his instructions and do all that he commands. 
We hear his instructions and we do all that he commands. We've just read through this first section in chapter 35 where instructions are given. Now, note that before he even gives instructions to work and to do, he reminds them, the first command that you obey is you rest in me. Right? Because those of us that like to work and like to do, we could have easily justified and said, hey, let's go ahead and work on that Sabbath day. I mean, that'll really hurt our production and contribution if we take a day off. Like, let's press forward. We'll start doing the Sabbath day after we get the tabernacle built. God starts the instructions first and says, hey, we ain't, we ain't sacrificing that part, right? Like, we'll work six days and we'll take one day off. Like, you're not going to err on the side of thinking that you're worshiping me while also being disobedient to me, right? So he tells them, like, we're going to still rest. We're going to still do it my way. And then he gives them the instructions. Number one here. Um, when instructed to do something, it's our responsibility to hear it well for the follow-through. When instructed to do something, it is our responsibility to hear it well for the follow for the follow-through. The verbatim of chapter 25 through 31 and the chapter 35 through 40 highlight the intentionality of God to order and the intentionality of the people to obey. Right? Both sides are very intentional right? Instructions are given, and God's very clear in the instructions, and the people respond very intentionally to keep those instructions. Now, if we're not careful, we hear instructions from, from God, but oftentimes more, more specifically through authorities in our life, and those are placed there by God. So inevitably, when we obey and disobey authorities in our life, we're obeying and disobeying God, right? So none of us would like to say, we don't listen very well to God and his instructions, but if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, we'll say we don't always listen well to the authorities in our life and the instructions they give to us, which then impacts our follow-through, right? Boys, we had some conversations about this yesterday, right? Like me giving instructions and then instructions not being followed through thoroughly. And what did we talk about? I talked to you guys about listening well, right? That's what we all have to do. We have to listen well to the instructions that are given to us. Because we all fail in this, right? Boys, you guys aren't the only ones that fail in this. We all fail in this, right? I have the same conversations oftentimes that I have with my kids, with my teachers at school, right? Like, they're not that different, right? I'm not that different from my boys. I have to have people have conversations with me about following through on instructions that have been given. Here's the thing we have to remember. We value the person giving the instructions by how well we listen to them, right? Like we show value to the person giving the instructions by how, how well we listen to them, right? The more valuable I think you are, the better I'm going to listen to the instructions probably, right? If I'm not really valued, that's what, that's what I'll tell uh, my kids sometimes is that I feel disrespected because you're not listening well because you wanna get back to what you're doing, that's, that's, how, that's how God would feel too, that, that he doesn't feel valued and glorified by us if we're not listening well to his instructions. Israel does well here. They glorify and honor God by listening to the instructions well. Number two, when instructed to do something, it is our responsibility to follow through to the fullest for his glory. We'll jump ahead to chapter 39. Exodus chapter 39, verse 1. I'll highlight something positive about my boys listening to instruction. Abram's taking up basketball, um, and he's never played basketball before, right? So he's being instructed by his coaches. I've given him some instruction. Dude listened to some instructions yesterday and scored 12 points for his team. So I was super proud of Abram yesterday. He scored almost half the points for his team. Good listening to instructions from his coaches yesterday uh, in that game. All right, Exodus chapter 39, verse one. Listen to the consistent theme of the verses that we hear here. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse five, and the skillfully woven band on it was from, of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set them, verse 7, on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
You can read verse 21, verse 26, verse 29, verse 31, verse 32, verse 42, verse 43, into chapter 40, verse 16, 19, 21, 23, 25, 26, 27, 29, 32. The consistent theme in all those verses is they did it exactly as the Lord commanded. They did it to a T. Like they did it exactly as he said for them to do it. Here's an important truth for us to remember. God is exalted whenever we do exactly what he tells us to do. That's how he gets glory and honor. In the eyes of others, we show value to God when we do exactly what he tells us to do. Now, what does this mean for us, right? Like, I'm not about to give you some instructions about how we're going to build a tabernacle. What does this mean for us in the New Testament? Well, they were called to create a place of worship. We're called to create a people for worship, right? Think about the New Testament instructions. They focus far more on the treatment we give to each other as the tabernacle of God, right? We don't, we don't talk in the New Testament about how we're to build a tabernacle. We're told how to treat the tabernacle. We're told how to treat the temple because the New Testament relays us as the people of God, the church, individuals that make up local churches, that make up the global church. We're the temple of God and we're given all kinds of instructions in the New Testament about how we're to build each other up, right? We're not building a tabernacle. We're not building a building. We're building a people and we're told how to one another each other constantly in the New Testament, Particularly in Jesus' last instructions in Matthew 28, we're told to make disciples and to teach disciples, right? To, to evangelize, to share the gospel, and then to grow people up in their faith. And we all have a role to play in that. We'll talk more about that as we get into uh, the next point. Number two, not only do we hear the instructions of God and do all that he commands, we also listen for needs and give of ourselves to serve, Listen for needs and give of yourself to serve. Look what Exodus 36, 1 says. Bezalel and Ohilab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Notice how the the people responded, both in, in skilled workers and in treasures needed, materials needed, they had more than enough. They had to actually tell people to stop bringing, stop giving. You've met the need far more and exceeded it than we expected. We have plenty to take care of this. Number one, opportunities to serve will always arise, and it is our responsibility to actively listen with a goal of responding. Opportunities to serve will always arise, and it is our responsibility to actively listen with a goal of responding. There was a call to give to meet the needs of this project and the people gave. They gave abundantly. They gave far more than was needed. What we see is a readiness to give that was only stopped when it was requested. They were listening and they were ready to move. This is to be our natural response. As believers, as someone who has experienced the grace of God, we should have generous spirits that are constantly looking for needs and constantly looking for ways to meet those needs. Look how this plays out in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 2. Verse 42, after salvation is really starting to spread and the church is adding to its number regularly, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This was their normal pattern for life. As they became Christians, as they experienced the grace and generosity of God, they couldn't help but become generous to one another. So they're selling their stuff, they're giving their stuff, they're serving each other, they're feeding each other. It's a constant uh, state of family that we see in that early church. They're taking care of one another. God gives us new hearts as believers, and one of the results of that new heart is generosity. His generosity makes us generous, right? He gives us what we don't deserve, right? He gives us forgiveness. He gives us second chances, right? He restores fellowship. He, he makes it possible for us to be in relationship. And even when we step out, he brings us back, right? And then he expects us to be generous as well. Number two, opportunities to serve will always arise. And it's our responsibility to steward our treasures, talents, and time in our response. Notice how the call was for materials and craftsmen in chapter, back in chapter 35 of Exodus. There's a call for materials, right? We're going to need a lot of stuff to build this building. Verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then all these items are listed, things that we're going to need. But then in verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Right? Not only do we need materials, we need labor to help make these things, to help these things be accomplished. There was a call for materials and craftsmen. Everyone had a role to play in the giving towards the need. Now, don't lose sight of the fact that these treasures, like slaves aren't known for having a lot of treasure. Right? This is gifted to them. This is the stuff that they took from the Egyptians on their way out. This is stuff that God, we're told, moved in the hearts of the Egyptians to give to the people of Israel. So they didn't do anything to earn these treasures that they have. This was was God's generosity to them to begin with. And now he says, use my generosity to be generous once again yourselves. In addition, the skills that these men have, these women have, They were crafted and honed as laborers in Egypt, right? Something that they learned as a trade. And so now God says, take what you've learned and use it for good purposes. Use it for the glory of God. You've built temples and buildings and whatnot to all these other gods for years. Now use those skills for me. These two men are mentioned as answering a specific call. And we're told that the Holy Spirit empowered them to do it. We're called to give in a variety of ways. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us. This is like one of the, the first times that we see in Scripture people being indwelt by the Holy Spirit for a specific task. So we talk about this in terms of people being inspired as they write Scripture. It's as though these men were inspired as they built God's presence uh, or God's place of presence in the tabernacle. We're called to give in a variety of ways ourselves with one of those being to give cheerfully and generously through the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to turn your attention there. 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. He goes on to talk about their readiness to give. That's what we're talking about, readiness to meet needs because they keep popping up and they're never going to go away, right? We've already had multiple cases where we've had to uh, enlist your help to make meals for people because of needs, right? We were, Tyson and I, just last week, a week ago today, we're sitting with Josh and Amber talking about church membership, feeding them at a local restaurant, and now they're in the spot that they're in grieving the loss of her dad, Like none of us last week eating and fellowshipping and talking about our church would have dreamed that her dad was going to pass away a week later. Now there's going to be needs for us to help serve that family, a family that's coming and wanting to join our church. Like this is an opportunity for us to meet needs and we need to listen well during their time of grieving. How can we help serve them? Needs aren't going away, right? 
He says, be ready. And he says, I know you are, but like, don't let me down. Like I'm sending people to make sure that you're still ready. He reminds them of how important it is to sow generously and sow bountifully. He says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Cheerfulness, giving of your bounty, giving of your resources, doing it through the church to meet the needs of the saints. Churches oftentimes petition for people to give a variety of ways. Oftentimes it's done through manipulation, right? Like oftentimes churches will force giving in the church and they'll manipulate to do that. They'll, they'll use passages of scripture and, and whatever means necessary to get the people to give. Other times there, there's a fooling, a deception piece that takes place where, hey, we want you to give and we're gonna make false promises of how much God's gonna give you back, right? And so the, the, the reason for giving shifts from, hey, I wanna be generous and give to meet needs to, hey, I wanna give and be generous because I think it's a good investment for me to get richer, Right? What we've always done here at this church is we've, we've asked you to freely give. We don't, we don't tell you amounts to give at this church. We don't tell you uh, uh, specifics in, in, in regards to like what you make versus what should be sacrificed. We've always asked you every year at the beginning of the year to evaluate how has the Lord blessed you over this past year and how can you commit to give this upcoming year? That's an appeal that we give to our members every year right? Most of you have been members for, for quite some time now. You know that, that rhythm of, of January comes and we start asking for committed giving, right? So we ask you to anonymously commit to give for this upcoming year. And I was reminded recently that we do this every year, but we're not faithful to always remind you as to why do we do that, right? Like, why do we ask you to tell us how much you're gonna give this year anonymously. How does that help us? How does that serve us as a church? Well, I mean, it gives us a basic idea of um, what, what's going to come in and how we can be good stewards of it. But you know why we really do committed giving? And maybe it's just for me. Because when I sit down monthly to pay my bills, I'm super tempted to not give sometimes. I'm also super, I'm also super tempted to change the amount that I give based on you know, some other things that maybe I wanna do. But you know what the committed giving reminds me of? Is that I have a set amount that I said I was going to give, right? Nobody else said I had to give that amount. I actually chose that amount and I need to faithfully give it because that's what the Lord compelled me to do. These people come forward and they bring gold and silver and bronze and yarns and colors and wood and all this kind of stuff. And Moses didn't tell anybody there was a set amount they had to bring. He just said, you give as your heart and spirit compels you to give. And that's how we've always approached it here at this church, right? We've never told you that we need your money. We've always tried to help you see that you give your money as an act of worship, that it's an opportunity to be generous and you give whatever the Lord tells you to give and we'll be good stewards of it and use it to the best of our abilities for his glory. But we do ask you to work through your heart to see what you're compelled to give, to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart to make sure that you're holding your stuff loosely, that you're not hanging on to it too tightly, and that every month as you sit down to pay bills, there's a, there's a reckoning that happens to say, be generous, be generous, because this world wants me to hang on to it. And what we see is a spirit of these people who had experienced the grace of God. They could have been wiped out, right? God could have started over with Moses and his descendants, and so they're saying, hey, by God's grace, we're still here. By God's grace, he's still using us. By God's grace, we're gonna be generous. And each of us is gifted in some way to build up this body, right? All of us can give something of the treasures that he gives to us, but it extends beyond that. Some of you have talent. Some of you have time that others of us don't have. And there's ways for you to utilize that not just for missional purposes where people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, but for in-house purposes to build up the saints, to encourage the saints. There's ways for us to use our treasure, our time, and our talents. God has gifted all of us individually. And as we go into this new year, may it be that we would all sit down and evaluate, how will I give this year? How will I give of my resources? How will I give of my treasures and my time and my talent? Not to a building to build a tabernacle, but to a people right? How will I help build this people through the ways that God has blessed me? Now, 
all of this gets done the way that God wants, right? So you can go back and read, and I would encourage you to go back and read all of these chapters verse by verse. All of this gets done the way that God intends. And it comes to Exodus 40. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Does anybody remember that when they came out of Egypt, their, their whole calendar system got reset? right? So when we say the first day of the first month, it's the anniversary. This is when we left Egypt a year ago. He says, on this anniversary, we're putting the tabernacle up. And you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it. You shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. He goes on to talk about getting everything in order, everything done rightly. The priests are to be dressed correctly, Everything's to be done according to the ways that he's instructed. It says in verse 16, this Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses finishes the work, we're told. You go down to uh, verse 33. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. And then what happens? God's glory comes on the tabernacle. As a result of their faithful giving and their faithful obedience to his commands, God's glory shows up. It says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the the tabernacle. It happened. It happened just as God said it would happen because the people did just as he said to do. They, they, they obeyed him. They built everything rightly. They constructed everything rightly. They sewed everything rightly. Everything is prepared and ready. Everything is set up correctly, and his glory comes to dwell on that tabernacle. Now, he's glorified because they made much of him through their sacrifice and their service, but lest we become jealous of a glory-filled building, right? Because it'd be easy to read this passage and say, man, I wish that was happening like right now, right here, right? Like why do they get to come to a meeting, a, a gathering place where they can visibly see God's glory? Lest we become jealous of a glory-filled building, turn your attention to the glory of Jesus and the filling that he gives us today. So we turn to the New Testament to, to kind of wrap up this section. In John chapter 1, Verse 14, a passage we've looked at already in our study. But as a reminder, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's intentional language. Remember I told you, we study the Old Testament that feels outdated and irrelevant at times because it helps us to better understand the New Testament. Jesus came to tabernacle with us, but he came in bodily form. It's better than a tabernacle. It's better than a building. Also, note the word used in Exodus 40, 35. This is interesting. So you probably know, maybe you don't know. The Septuagint, we'll get a little nerdy here, okay? The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament's originally written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Greek. Well, they go back and they translate the Old Testament into Greek, okay? So when they did that, the word they chose for Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, where it says Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, right? God's glory settles on this building. The word they use there, abode, right, in the Greek. Listen to this. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 1, Verse 35, and the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That word for overshadow, it's the same word used for what happened when that cloud settled on the tabernacle. What does that mean? It means Mary's womb became a holy of holies for Jesus, right? Like we could say, man, I wish we had a tabernacle. I wish we had a building where God's presence dwelt. No, 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 no. We don't want that. Moses can't even go into that, 
right? Like he's walled off from going there, right? Priest one time a year gets in there. God says, now the womb of Mary becomes the holy of holies. And Jesus is tabernacling with you. Fast forward in his life, Luke chapter nine. I don't know if I've ever really understood the, the transfiguration, right? It's like a weird account where Jesus and Elijah and Moses are, are being like glorified and the disciples are kind of watching and it's like a weird break in the narrative. You're like, what is happening right now? But let's look at it in light of what we've been learning. In Luke chapter nine, verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and they went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. Right, so Moses and Elijah and Jesus are together in all this glory. And they're actually having a conversation, right? And it says they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You know what that word departure is? It's the word exodus. So think about the irony here. Moses is talking about, to, about an exodus to Jesus. The Moses who said, God, I want to see you in all your glory, right? The Moses who's been in heaven for a while now, but has never put his own eyes on Jesus incarnate, God in human form, because that's really what Moses wanted to see, right? Like, I want to see you in a form that I understand. Show me you in human form. And now Moses is getting that. He's at this Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples are asleep right now, like they're missing it. And Moses is like, man, this is awesome. Like I'm seeing the glory of God in the form of Jesus. And what are we talking about? A greater exodus. Not the exodus that I led where I took people out of Egypt. We're talking about an exodus where people are being taken out of sin because he's telling me, Jesus is telling Moses, I'm about to die on the cross in Jerusalem. I'm coming back from the dead. And then I'm coming back to heaven, right? And all hell is about to be defeated Right? Imagine like Moses in this setting, like all of this come, all this hope that he had in the Old Testament finally coming to fruition. There's still a lot I don't understand about the transfiguration, but maybe the transfiguration was just for Moses. Just for Moses to say, Amen and Amen, all of that waiting in the in the desert, it's coming to fruition. Like we're gonna finally see all of this happening. Peter sees this happening, and look what he wants to do. Like Peter wakes up, uh, verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents or three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He's like, oh, I've heard about this. He's like, when glory shows up like this, we build tabernacles. Peter's like, I know, I know how to build a tabernacle. Like I remember verbatim what was said in the Old Testament. Like, let's go do it. Let's build three of them. Let's put three tabernacles out here. Jesus, you have one. Moses, you have one. Elijah, you have one. That's what we want. We want a building with glory. And look what happens. The same cloud shows up. A cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I, I read this and I hear James Earl Jones's voice. Like that's, that's, that's God's voice in my mind. Like he talks like Mufasa, he talks like Darth Vader, right? Like, and so he says like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, listen to him, right? Like don't build a tabernacle. Like we're beyond that. Like the tabernacle's here and it's Jesus and you listen to him and you follow him and you listen to him thoroughly, you be intent in the ways that you listen, right? You hear, you hear what he tells you to do, and you do it. And then we see more of his glory coming in a better way than the tabernacle. 1 Corinthians 3, we've already looked at in our C groups and D groups, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 2. These are all chapters that talk about us as individuals, and us as the local church, and us as the global church being the temple of God. And it all points to Revelation 21, when this great city comes with no, with no boundaries and borders that doesn't need lights and, and doesn't need anything because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. And that's our city. That's our tabernacle where we get to dwell with Jesus for all eternity. We don't have to look at this tabernacle picture and say, man, wish we had that today. Because God would show up and say, uh-uh. 
Like the tabernacle is far better today. That's Jesus who lives inside of you as the people of God. He says you listen to him. You listen to him well. Lastly, number three, we hear his instructions, we listen for needs, we give of ourselves to serve, and we trust his guidance and and rely upon his direction. Trust his guidance and rely upon his direction. Back in Exodus 40, the chapter closes, the book closes with this. Verse 36, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was, it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God stayed with them. God moved them when he wanted to move them. And God paused them when he wanted to pause them. He does the same thing for us too. Even though we can't visually see it, we can trust God's guidance and we can trust his direction. Number one, God will move us and God will pause us and we must be ready to trust him with both. Here's the thing, even if you could see it visibly, because I would love this, right? Like God, like put the cloud over the job you want me to take, put the cloud over the house you want me to buy, put the cloud over the spouse you want me to marry, put the cloud over, like I'd love for the visual, but Israel's proof that the visual doesn't guarantee that it works, right? Like they knew when to move and when not to move. And so that cloud goes into the promised land Right? And the spies come back and they're like, we can't go in there. Like, we'll die. Joshua and Caleb are like, no, we can do it. The people are like, I don't care if the cloud's going in there. We're not going. Right? Like, they see the cloud going in the promised land and they say, nope. They see the cloud pause and they get restless and say, why aren't we moving? Why aren't we doing something? Right? So even the visual wouldn't guarantee that we would be faithful. Israel struggled with both. They got impatient when waiting. They got fearful when moving. We need to fight for contentment when God pauses us and courage when he moves us. Just like we see in Joshua 1.9, when they get done wandering in the wilderness and they finally decide, hey, we'll go into the promised land. We'll follow the cloud into the promised land. God tells Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If his presence goes with us, we can go anywhere. Lastly, number two, God's story is bigger than just our story. And we must keep that in mind when processing our particular chapters of the story. I put this in here as a, as a specific for me because I don't get the visual. And there's often times where we can feel like we're doing everything that we should be doing, trying to follow, follow God's guidance, and it still, it still come out and feel like... Uh, that we miss something, right? Like, I don't usually doubt God's goodness or, or fail to trust him on Sundays, but Fridays are a great recipe for me, like, not trusting him well. And so I was having a conversation with Tyson about a specific situation, and I told him, I said, look, I don't get it. Like, I prayed thoroughly about this, right? I asked God for specifics about this, and then he provides exactly what I've been praying for, Right? And there's no way to misinterpret it as like selfish or self-serving or anything because it, it was actually me setting aside some of my own selfishness to pray for this. And then God does it. And I feel like I'm holding like broken pieces for it right now. And I'm like, God, like where, did you deceive me in this? And I told Tyson, I said, man, I'm tempted to feel like God deceived me on this. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get how I can pray for this and it be as broken as it is right now. And then I texted him this morning. I said, man, it's like, it's like I had a burning bush experience this morning and, and I don't believe that I did, but it's like, man, if God could have audibly spoken to me and said this to me this morning, he would have said, hey, the story's bigger than just you, right? There, there are things that you're holding right now that are broken, right? And, 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 the, and, the, and the people that are at play in that, I mean, they're part of that story too, right? And so, man, I, I was like, just because it's not playing out the way that I wanted it to play out doesn't mean that I took a misstep in what I did, right? God moved me in a direction and I followed him into that direction. And just because it's not playing out the way I want it to right now doesn't mean that he deceived me or that I took a misstep. It just means that I've got to process the chapters of my story through the bigger story that, hey, there's a lot of people in his story and how he's playing this out. It's a good reminder for us because sometimes we'll get frustrated with God because he's not doing what we want him to do with us all the while he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing in the life of somebody else. We have to trust him. 
We'll trust that cloud. When it moves, we move. When it pauses, we pause. We trust him through it all. The application for us. Number one, are you faithfully seeking to carry out the instructions given to you with a goal of thoroughness and excellence? Instructions given to you by God, instructions given to you by your superiors, by your authorities in your life, that they're one and the same according to the scriptures. Are you faithfully seeking to carry out the instructions given to you with a goal of thoroughness and excellence? Number two, are you faithfully giving what you have or giving what you do in order to meet needs for God's New Testament tabernacle, which is the church? Are you faithfully giving what God has given to you? Are you faithfully giving what you do, the talent that you have in order to meet needs for God's New Testament tabernacle? And then number three, are you faithfully filtering your situations through God's bigger story? believing that he remains good and active with you. He never stops being both of those things. He's always with us as his people, and he's always good to us. Jesus gives that as assurance as well, right? Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The greatest tabernacle remains with us. God's presence remains with us. We can trust that today. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for our study in Exodus. We thank you for what you've taught us in these last six, chap- these last six chapters in-, in what was a quick overview of them today, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the ways that you preserve us even though we're sinful. Lord, I pray that we would have the appropriate response when you forgive us, that we would seek to, to learn from our mistakes by heeding your instructions going forward, seeking to obey you thoroughly with your commands that we would always be listening for ways that we can serve and meet needs around us, that we would see the treasures and talents and time that you give to us as a means of ways to serve other people. And Lord, help us to trust you, to trust you always with guidance and direction. Lord, help us to never think for a moment even that you would lead us in deception. Father, forgive me for questioning you even uh, at a time this week where I felt like I prayed for something and then I felt tricked by it. Lord, help me to realize that you don't trick and you don't deceive. And I can trust the cloud. And I can trust that your story's playing out the way that you want it to. Lord, help me to temper my expectations about the way I want my story to be. Help me to trust your story. Help that be true for all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.